Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Next Level Business Podcast. This is episode two. We are with Shane and Josh today. Welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? So this is episode two we're going to be recording today uh, off the podcast. And uh, the last episode, you heard a little bit about my background, my story, why we started the podcast, what we're going to be covering, and where we're going with this whole thing. And so in this episode, we decided to talk a little bit about Shane, about his background, all the stuff that he's been through, uh, and we're going to take a deep dive into his the last years of his life, and uh, and talk about his mistakes and uh, his challenges and things he learned and what's got him here today with us, and uh, we'll see what we can learn from it. And so, um, once again, the podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, and all future episodes, we're going to be talking, me and Shane are going to be doing deep dives. We're going to have, uh, awesome guests coming in and, uh, it's going to be a lot of good nuggets, golden nuggets. It's going to be dropping in every podcast. Uh, so we're going to be talking about business. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to be talking about stocks and bonds, uh, on the podcast. So if this is your first episode, go listen to the first one, come back to this one and listen to all future ones. Uh, so Shane. Welcome. Thank you for doing the journey with me. Hey, I'm so excited, man. I, I I have waited for many years to do something like this venture right here. I'm all about helping people. You know, we talked about last week, you know, when you were talking about why are we doing what we're doing? And it's very simple, man. We just we, we just want people to learn from our mistakes, right? And so so much in history is just, you know, it's it's already out there. And if you can just learn what not to do, you will be in great shape. So that's part of it. And then we just want to document the journey. You said that last time out. I love it. And it's true. You know, we want this thing to live on for the next 15 years. I'd love to see my kids watch this, you know, when they get older and listen to all the episodes and just learn from it. So uh, it's 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 going to be a fun journey. We're just starting out again. Next level mastermind, nlmastermind.com. And we had a mastermind before. And the premise of that is very simple is the gathering of minds and you want to make sure you're like-minded with these guys. If you're a growth, if you have a growth mindset and you want to be around other people who have a growth mindset, if you have a fixed mindset, you can't be around the guys that have a growth mindset because you're, you're not in the same boat. So, but when you meet and you gather every time you, you grow from that and you gain all this wisdom from it. And so that's the premise of it. You and I had one of these years back and that kind of stopped. And now we want to do one, kind of virtual online and it may it may be you know where we get groups together one day we'll see where that goes but one thing we can't promise you the overarching view is we've got a a lot of things we've done well we've got a lot of things we've done wrong but you're always going to learn from those but the we're going to start with the overarching view of their the three asset classes and to me we have uh business we have real estate we have stocks and bonds those three asset classes and it's really good to be well-versed at all of these. A lot of people get siloed into one. And uh, it's, to me, you want to be diversified and you want to know all three. You don't have to be a pro at all three, mm-hmm. but you just need to have some guidance in all three areas. And it is good to have all three. So I want that. I want you guys to, we're going to start with a framework of that's always going to be in the back of our mind. You know, if we do a deep dive into a business we're breaking down one of the three asset classes. If we do a deep dive into stocks and bonds, it's going to be a deep dive into that. And same thing with real estate. And But every part of this, we're going to learn and uh, we want to grow and hopefully people will tune in and uh, start to enjoy this thing. So, But I'm going, to, I'm going to start with, as a kid, growing up, what I did, what I didn't do, the people I had around me. And so I did not grow up with a lot of money. Uh, 
we grew up in a in a small town in rural Texas, and my my dad drove a truck when I was a kid. And I remember as a kid, I was like, man, I want to grow, grow up and be a truck driver. And <laughs> you know, I had high goals, man. <laughs> and my dad said, no, son, you're going to college. And so that was always implanted into me that I was going to go to college. And nobody in his side of the family ever went. And I was going to be the first one. And I was. But that was imparted for me at a young age. But I will tell you this. He, you know, he drove a truck, but he always had dreams of being this really successful entrepreneur. And he took two swings at it. The first one, he was probably, I don't know, he probably was in his mid-30s. And he uh, founded a trucking company. And it was in the oil uh, field. He moved oil rigs in the mid 80s. And I don't know if you know a lot about uh, the history of Texas, but in the mid 80s, we had a huge oil crash. And so when it crashed, he crashed. And we as a family, we crashed. And so uh, I was scarred from that at a young age, man. So back in the day, if you wrote hot checks, you would get arrested. It's still a federal crime today. Uh, it can be, but most of the time, nobody ever pursues that unless it's large amounts. Right, right, right. But when uh, when he went bust, he had a million dollars in accounts receivable that was owed to him and his young business. And nobody could pay him. And in the oil industry, it's either feast or famine. Either you are flush with 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 greenback or you have nothing at all. And when it hit bust, he went bankrupt and we went bankrupt. And we went from having a few things to having nothing again. <laughs> and uh, I remember during that time, he wrote a hot check. And I vividly remember the police showing up at our door. I had a window that faced the street and I saw the cops pull up. And I'm like, what are they doing here? <laughs> and I vividly remember my poor old dad getting in the back of the cop car. Oh, and uh, it scarred me. I yeah. was like, okay, whatever business is, I don't want any part of it. And, uh, you know, a few years goes by, he gets back into the trucking business and he filed bankruptcy. He owed every bank in that small little town. And, uh, but you know, in, in fairness to him, he was owed a million dollars and he did not owe anywhere near that to the banks. So if yeah. they would have paid him, he would have been a totally different man. Now but who, that's, who's, who's he, uh, his customers owed him money. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the oil and gas company. So he was moving oil rigs for them. Okay. And then they went under, therefore they couldn't pay him. They went under. So therefore we went under as okay. well. He went under. And so, uh, you know, that, that it's, you know, I was a young kid at the time, so I can't say that I knew, but you know, when I talked to my mom that it, it, the, the stress, we all know as business owners, the stress is immense. And he was under immense amount of pressure and I'm, and, and I'll lead into the next part of the story, but it had some damaging effects on him. So he goes back into driving a truck. And he was miserable because you can imagine after you've gone from having a business that was, let's say, mildly successful, and then you get hit with something like the oil bust, or we could say maybe something like COVID, right? Right. We, we, we could we could use that to uh, today's language. And so, uh, you know, he went back to driving a truck, but he was miserable. And so he took another crack at business. And so in uh, another small town adjacent to that, my grandparents lived there. And they had they had like uh, five acres and he took two acres of that and he built a uh, building and he got approved as a dealership for Massey Ferguson, which was a tractor company. I don't think they make Massey Ferguson's today, but anybody that knows anything about tractors, they were a great quality tractor and he was a licensed dealer of them. Now, uh, is that like uh, the, the truck's 18 wheeler? No, no, it's a tractor. So like farming equipment. Like a John Deere tractor. Okay. For for farming, commercial farming. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, in that region where we were, Decatur, Bowie, uh, in that region, lots of farming has taken place. So yeah. him becoming a licensed Massey Ferguson dealership was a big deal. But this is what this is what he did in in addition to that. He built a building. So my grandparents gave him the land. And he built a metal frame building. And, you know, back in the day, man, it cost like $115,000. I mean, it was something, something ridiculously cheap yeah. compared to today. But at the time, it was a ton of money, right? So he builds this building and he is there for, I think, four years. And again, we had a huge recession in the early 90s in Texas. And he got wiped out again. Man. And it was, it was devastating. 
And, you know, everything went under in that time. And, you know, we had the, the, the SNL crisis and all of those things were happening around that time. And that, that poor dude just got snake bit twice and he was devastated again. And it, unfortunately that one did him in probably towards the tail end of that. He came down with cancer and he lasted about, he only lasted three months from the time that they diagnosed it. Yeah. Uh, I was in college at that point, but man, just to know that he's there and then three months later, he's not there. So that was tough. So, but once again, that, that scarred me. So here I am going to college. He told me I was going to go. And so I'm in college when this happens and I thought about quitting and I didn't quit. I stayed with it, but, uh, he still had that building. So the business failed, but he had the building and, he partnered with my uh, uncle, my my mom's brother. So they were in partnership together on this dealership. They owned the building together. And after the business went under, my uh, and my dad passed away. My brother and or my, my uncle leased that building out, and they were underwater on this lease every month. They leased it too cheap. They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. They leased it too cheap to whoever. But every month they had to pay these payments, and they hated it. They Wait, were so, who did they owe money to? Uh, the bank. The the people the bank who built the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bank who financed the building. But the land was free, right? The land was free. The land was free, but the building had had a, had a lien on it. Okay. So the bank doesn't care. All of it is is all encompassing to the bank. Money was owed to the bank. They owed a, a monthly payment to it, and I think they had it on a 10 year note, which it should have been on a 20, 25 year note, but they didn't know. Right. So the bank took advantage of them, which the banks normally do. So instead of having a, a nice, easy cushion payment, they had this payment that they had to pay every month and they were real bitter about it. And I didn't know anything about it. I'm just sitting there watching them make these payments stressed out a lot. You know, we lost our, my, my dad was gone and we're making payments on this land. And then all of a sudden, a few years after that, they, they find a buyer for this, and they make a ton of money on this land, this building. And, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. You know, my mind starts going off. And then my first thought is, okay, I don't want anything to do with business, but I love real estate. <laughs> and, you know, because they they made like 200 grand on that. And, you yeah. know, they they built it for 100 and made like 200 on it. So I was like, man, I don't know what real estate is, but I want some of that stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how our youth – uh, drives who we become. Right. Right. So, you know, like you, you were doing, you were an entrepreneur in your teens. I wasn't doing that. I was, I was actually working, you know, all these jobs. I was working at the grocery store. I was working out in the fields. I was, I I had a a job at Walmart, you know, back in the day and all of these shape who we are, but mine wasn't an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Mine was on the real estate side and yours was as an entrepreneur. So uh, we keep coming back to these three asset classes real estate business and, and, uh, stocks and bonds. And so I get out of college, I have an accounting degree and I, uh, and I, I do something that's really unique. I go out and buy a house. Yeah. And, you know, I came from a family that knew nothing about money. Nobody went to college. I was the first one to graduate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, everybody told me not to buy this house. And I looked at the numbers and what was crazy, uh, and I was so scarred from not having money and filing bankruptcy and all that stuff that everything I did was cash. I didn't finance anything. Yeah. And so I had a car that I had paid off in cash. And so then it comes up, I'm like 25, 26 at this time. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a house. And I ran the numbers and I was like, okay, I'm going to get a three bedroom house. I'm going to get two guys to live with me. And I had two buddies that, that already wanted to do it. And they were like, man, if you get a house, I want to go in there with you. So as they renters or as part of the deal? No, as renters. Okay, okay. And so this is one of the things that I recommend to every young kid in his 20s. This is the only time where you really even want to put up with renters, right? Because you get in your 30s, like you're like, man, the hell with renters. I'm never having a renter. And uh, nor should you, right? Why would you have renters in, in, you know, in your 30s and 40s, but only out of necessity? But then I ran the numbers. I was like, okay, my payment's going to be 900 a month to the mortgage company. And these two guys are going to pay me four fifty each. Two guys are going to pay me four fifty each. So my payment's going to be nine hundred. So my car was paid off in cash, and now 
I went ahead and bought the house much to everyone's dismay. Right. You know, I lost my mentor. My mentor was gone. And so I had nobody giving me good counsel one way or another. But I was like, man, this is going to work. I just feel like it's going to work. So I did it and it was the best thing I ever did. So they essentially they gave me the nine hundred a month in rent. My payment was nine hundred a month and I was paying nothing. How much was the house to live? It was a hundred and twenty thousand. How did you get approved for that? I had a job. Okay. The best way to get <laughs> houses is have this have W two income. Yeah. And I had W two income, and it was plenty to qualify. You know, I was oh. making fifty, sixty grand. I had no debt, so wow. it, it was a, it was a piece of cake to get qualified. So yeah. I put ten thousand down, got me a house, and I was living for free. Yep. And I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there scratching my head, going, "Why doesn't everybody do this? This is the easiest thing in the world to do." I'm living for free. I'm driving for free. So everything that I made at my job, I was saving. I was investing. And I and that's when I got into the market and I devoured stocks and I became a day trader and all this stuff. All that was just side hustle stuff. Right, right. And so, but I was day trading and I had my accounting gig and and I was and I was always growing. I had a subscription to Fortune magazine, bro. And I would read it cover to cover every time that thing came out. So I was I was growing without knowing I was growing. Right. Without anybody pushing me to grow, I was growing. Right. But I knew there was more. I was like, man, I just want more. I want more. There's got to be more out there. So then I got into uh I was miserable at the bank. I was doing accounting or I wasn't I was at a hospital and I was just siloed in their accounting department stuck in a basement. We had no windows and it was boring <laughs> as hell, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the lighting in hospitals. Oh, it's so bad. So anyway, one thing I did know is I loved money and I loved people. And I was like, I want to help people with money. And so my next gig, my next gig was as a financial advisor. And so I was like, man, what better way to, to help people in money than to be a financial advisor? But as soon as I got into that field, I was disenchanted with what those guys really do. Right. You know, financial advisors and, you know, if there's some listen to this, they're going to get mad at this. But, you know, I'm just calling it like I see it. And and that is, you know, they wear the fancy suits. They have the nice cars and you trust the suit. You just do. The average Joe Blow trusts the suit. If a guy has a nice suit on and he has a nice car, he's a trustworthy guy. Yep. And you can trust what he says. Yep. And those guys aren't bad people. That's just kind of what they're doing. But. I love stocks so much and I got into options, which are derivatives of stocks, which, you know, which aren't stocks themselves. They're instruments that are created and they are and they move according to the fluctuation of the price of the stock. But it is not the stock itself it is a derivative of the stock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew mutual funds, but I wasn't a big fan. And so uh, when I became a financial advisor, you know, the guys came in and they would train us and. And I would ask him, I'm like, man, when are we going to teach our people about options? And he goes, we don't teach people about options. We don't teach them about that stuff. I'm like, why not? And he goes, your job is a salesman. Your job is to sell. And so the majority of your job is to go out there and get people to convince you to give you money. And they go, let us handle the money on the backside. And so what they would do literally is it was an asset allocation model. You know, and that is simply, okay, here's a hundred grand. How are we going to invest it? We're going to put 50,000 in small cap stocks. We're going to put 50,000 in high growth stocks. We're going to put, or I'm sorry, that that's, that's too much right there, but hey, that's too much. <laughs> 25 in, uh, you know, uh, dividend stocks. And so it is just a model, but 100% is invested in the market. Yeah. And, but it is 100% in mutual funds and you forget about it. Yep. And then what you do six months down the road, these guys call you or, or you call these guys up and you give them the perception that you have been staring over their portfolio day in and day out for the past six months. Right. Right. When you haven't. I've been watching it. You haven't been doing a damn thing with their portfolio for six months. Yeah. You haven't even looked at it. You have looked at it, but uh, you get what I'm saying. So the day before they come in, you look at their portfolio and then you readjust it. You know, what hasn't done well, you shift out of that and you go into the stuff that has done well. So you reallocate that model. And man, I was so disenchanted with that. I was in that for about six months to a year. And I said, I'm out. 
I can't do this. <laughs> I, I can't do this to people. This is just, just to me isn't even right. Right. And uh, so if a guy has a million dollars, how much do you think the financial advisor wants of that guy's million dollar savings? Yeah, the whole thing. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. He doesn't go to the guy and say, all right, let's break it down into the three asset classes. Let's let's buy into, you know, fractional parts of a business. Let's buy some real estate and let's buy some stocks and bonds. No, they say we want all one million dollars. Give it to us. Right. And so they take all million of it. So anyway, I got out of that. I just couldn't take it anymore. And then I roll into mortgages and that's when I really got into real estate heavy and I loved real estate. And I, and that, that thing with my dad and that building really had an impression on me. And to finish up the house that I bought when I was like 25, 26 years old, I lived in that house two years and I took the 900 that my renters gave me, they live with me. All three of us guys live together. I took their money and I put it on the note every month. So essentially I was doubling up on payments. I was making the 900 payment myself and I was taking their 900 and I was throwing it as extra principal on the house. So we lived in that house two years together and I met my future wife, you know, right at the tail end of that two years. And I said, all right, guys, we're selling the house. We're, we're, we're breaking the party's over. Everybody get out. And uh, anyway, they didn't have a problem. They went and found someplace else. But when I sold that house, I got lucky. I, I knew nothing about housing. I sold it for almost 150 in two years, made almost 30,000 on it. Didn't even know what I was doing. Right. And, uh, you know, you have a bunch of fees you got to pay, but I had paid that note down. I bought it for 120. I put 10 down. So I financed 110. I had paid my note from 110 down to $85,000 in two wow. years. And I had a check in my hand as a 25, 26 year old kid for $50,000. Wow. And I was like, whoa, I was like, I'm going to tell everybody I know that they need to do this. And I've been on a crusade ever since that time to tell all these people about that. You know, how many people have done this? Not one, (laughs) not one successful. They won't do it. They won't do it. And that's, you know, that's one of the lessons learned, right? You cannot force anything on anybody. They've got to come and find you. So the mastermind group for you and me is, is, is again, I'm going to interject this. It's about you and me giving that advice, but people that want it are going to be the ones that come and drink out of the trough. Right. And we can't force them to, none of them will do it if we force them to do it. Right. And so, but we hope that you guys will listen to this kind of stuff and, uh, and, and grow from it. So, uh, Loved mortgages, got out of that, got into banking and commercial banking. And I've done that for the past 10 years. And um, one thing along the way is when I was in banking, I was always, I always had a side hustle. And that's one thing that I'm a big fan of. It is okay if you want to have a J-O-B. It is okay. But what I'm going to tell you to do is you better have a good side hustle. If you don't have a good side hustle, and I know one good side hustle right now by a photo booth from Josh. Come on, baby. That's a great side hustle. It's a side hustle. Events are still going on. 50,000 people searched for a photo booth last month. That, that's that's incredible. And, and guess what? Every month it's going to get better because we're learning how to adapt to COVID. Guess, mm-hmm. We've learned, guess what? It's not going to kill everybody. Right. Well, the media wants to say we're all going to die, but we're not all going to die. <laughs> and and we're, we're learning from it. I heard today Jerry Jones is going to uh, open the stadium back up this season. Yeah, that's good news. It's great news for everybody. Everybody, it's great news, but events are going to come back, but it's all about that side hustle. So I had a side hustle and that's where I created my wealth. I created my wealth with the side hustle. You do not create wealth with your daytime job. You don't, you create your wealth with the side hustle. What are you going to do on the side? So what I did on the side is I bought real estate and I partnered with a couple of guys and we bought real estate and we made a giant mistake. So this is one thing I want to teach you guys tonight. Uh, I'm littered with giant mistakes <laughs> and uh, you're going to learn from all of them. And, and the first one was we bought houses in the hood in the roughest parts of Dallas. We were buying houses and, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? Well, we did it because it worked when we were there. It was working and we were making good money in the hood. And at one point we had 20 houses and we, we, we didn't get killed, but in the end, the last few houses, so we made money on so many of these houses, and then we get to the final few, 
and then we lost our ass. And so when you when you when you sum it all up with all the transactions that we did out in the hood, we ended up losing a little bit of money. Now, were we doing the right thing in buying real estate? Yes. Were we doing the right thing in leveraging the bank's money for real estate? Yes. The mistake that we made was, and we had smart people down there with us, man. Smart people were doing this. MBAs, we were all down there doing this. The mistake in those kind of rough areas is your end buyer, which are the people in the hood, cannot get financing. Right. So we weren't selling to them. We were selling to investors. And that was our business model. So we'd buy a house for 30 or no, we'd buy it for probably 20, maybe put 10 in it and we would sell it for 50. And then we were keeping some. And that is the perfect model. The perfect model is you want to flip some, you want to keep some, you want to flip some, you want to keep some and take the profits from the flip and roll it as equity in the ones you want to keep and keep doing that cycle. And then the ones that you do keep sell those often. You don't want to keep those for the next 25 years. No, because you got to build the bank. How you build the bank is the first few that you do, you sell them. That's where you have the most equity. And, you know, if you have 50,000 in that house, you go out and you buy three houses to take its place. Yeah. And, and you keep doing that. And then those three houses, you walk that out four or five years, you sell those three houses, you got a ton of equity. And then you keep, you keep doubling down, but you do it smart. You do it wisely. You get a bank to get involved with you. So we were doing all that stuff right. But the one problem we had, 07 and 08 hit. And we know what happened then, right? The Great Recession. And real estate took a dump. I mean, bad. And so guess who stopped buying those properties? The investors. They dried up. They went away. And so, you know, we ran our models on, you know what? We can lose 20% on on our uh, top line. You know, if if the value of the home goes from 50,000, if it goes down 20% to 40, we're, we're okay. We're, we're still in at 30, right? right? So we're like, we can absorb 20. We can absorb a 40% haircut <laughs> and still be in the money, right. right? But in the hood, when those investors went away, there was nobody to take their place. Right. And we didn't lose 20, 40%. We lost 90%. Wow. That house went from being valued at 50,000 to being worth five. Yeah. And that's how we got killed. And we got stuck with several houses and we unfortunately just had to ride them out because we're like, dude, we're not selling for five grand, man. Screw that. And so we held on, tried to rent them out. And, you know, in that area, you got some rough dudes living in your houses and it's not the easiest thing in the world to collect rent. So that's a mistake we had. We bought rough houses in rough neighborhoods and there was only one end buyer and that was an investor. Right. Where you want to be is you want to be the next level up from that. If we would have been in better places like uh, Mesquite, Garland, and what you want is you want brick three two twos, single family homes, brick three two twos. And if we would have done that, I'd be worth about 20 million today. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not even lying. Yeah. And so, uh, but as it was, we, we spent, you know, seven or eight years down there with all the properties that we got in and out of and ended up making nothing. And so it was a great learning lesson, but it made me want to get out of real estate when I should have been getting in more into real estate. And I'll give you a scenario around that time when we were getting out, you know, licking our wounds going, what the hell happened here? Uh, I ran across this guy. He was, uh, he was from Africa and he spoke broken English. I mean, you could barely understand this guy. And you, you would look at a guy like that and you'd say, okay, he comes to America. All the cards are stacked against this guy. And he was buying the exact property that we should have been buying. We started around the same time when I got his backstory and he was extremely successful when I met him. And when he told me the backstory, I'm like, dude, we were, we got into real estate the exact same time. We're about the same age. And we had far more advantages, let's say, than he had. But, dude, he schooled us. He lapped us. When I met him, he had 50 properties. Wow. And he about uh, he owned about half of those outright in cash. And so at the time, the property's worth about 100000 a house, and he had 50 of them. So he had $5 million worth of houses. Wow. And he only owed about $2.5 on them. And he was making... 
twenty to twenty five thousand a month, and living the best life ever, dude. And he was young thirties, and he he was telling me exactly how he did it. It was the exact same model that we had. He was just buying one level up from where we were buying, right? And so he was buying the brick three two two. It was the fifty thousand dollar house at the time. And he was buying it for, you know, maybe 40 grand. And, you know, he'd turn around, he could sell it for 70. And the majority of his price, his cost, though, was 50,000. Where we were in at 30, he was in at 50 to 55 to 60. But, and what he would do is he, he would keep it for a couple of years, get all this equity in it, and he bought it right. So, I mean, right out of the gate, he could have flipped it and made 25 grand. But he liked to keep them for about a year, pay the notes down with the rent, and let them appreciate a little bit more. And so when he would flip them, he would take, you know, a, a thirty to forty thousand dollar property and he would go buy two to three to take its place. That's right. how he got to 50. Mm. So he would buy one, keep it a year, let's say, make 40 grand, and then he'd go buy maybe three to take its place. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the next month he'd buy another one. And eventually, when you get so many, the banks are lining up to do business with you. And that's what happened. He got this big fat million dollar line of credit. So he could go buy anything he wanted. And he was buying everything at a huge discount. And there wasn't necessarily a ton of people at the time in the market. You know, it's exploded since then. So the prices have gone up. That $50,000 house, bro, is now $150 to $175. Yeah. Same house. So it's it's been a lot tougher to do that same model. But the premise is there. And we were doing it. So that's the first mistake, you know. And so uh, – and. Right around that time, I transitioned into commercial banking. And here's the next part of the story. When when I, The great thing about commercial banking is you meet all these great people at business mm-hmm. and at real estate. You meet the pros of the pros, bro. If you're a good relationship builder, which I was good at, and uh, you start to meet some incredible people. You meet people that are incredible at business. You meet people that are incredible at real estate. Well, I had no experience on the, on the business side. And so one of the, the first couple of years I was there, I met a guy, you know, everybody, you meet a guy, right? So I met a guy and this guy transformed the way that I look at business. I didn't know anything about business. I was still scarred, man, even from, uh, you know, my dad's situation. It was still always in the back of my mind going, I'm just going to keep doing the real estate side hustle. And that works. You can be an absolute flat out multimillionaire doing a real estate side hustle. And but we bought the wrong one. We ended up, you know, 07, 08, still with nothing. And, uh, but I met this guy and he taught me everything that I knew about business. And we would have these awesome debates, bro. He would come into the bank and he'd, and I'd say, you need to buy real estate. He goes, nope, you need to buy a business. Uh-huh. And, and I'd be like, nope, this is why you need to buy real estate. And he'd be like, nope, this is why you need to buy a business. And after about six months of this guy, he was highly astute, a few years younger. He became a great mentor of mine on the business side. And I hope to have him on the on the show, you know, in the coming months. But he uh, he won me over. And I said, okay, you're right. The way that you do business is better than the way that I do real estate. But I was wrong in making that statement. I was right. <laughs> I was right that real estate is a winner. I just bought the wrong thing and I was a little jaded at the time. But looking back, all you people out there listening, uh, that again is what we're going to be here for you guys for is teaching you how to buy the right real estate, not the wrong stuff. And it's not rocket science. What I love about real estate is real estate. Now, you don't it doesn't happen overnight, but over a course of many years and you stay with it, you can't buy one. You know, I've got a whole lesson that we're going to do a deep dive on, and that is how to play Monopoly in real life. And uh, it and it's the same lesson about buying real estate the right way. Like this guy that I met, I told you this 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 guy that I met that came from Africa, and today he's probably worth twenty million. I know he parlayed all that, but uh, that's on the right track. You're on the right track. You just got to do it the right way. So, but at that time, I said you're right on business. And so I abandoned my thought on real estate and I started chasing business. And that was a horrible, horrible mistake. That's mistake (laughs) number two. Uh, I started chasing business. Nothing wrong with business. But this is what I'll tell you about business. And you can attest to this, Josh. Business does not give you lifestyle right out of the gate. 
-hmm. It is a grind. It is a daily, daily grind. And you can easily work 80 hours a week and you can easily make nothing. And it is tough. Plenty of people doing that. Plenty of people doing that. So that's, that's, that's a lot of the other things we're going to talk about. How do you not get into that rut? Well, how do you not? The first thing you do is you don't buy a marginal business. Just like you don't want to buy the wrong real estate, you don't want to buy the wrong business. You got to buy the right business. You got to buy the right real estate. We're going to teach you guys how to do that. But buying a marginal business can kill you. It can absolutely set you back. So you don't want to buy a marginal business. Well, what's uh, what's a good margin? Above what percent? Well, you know what what I look at when I look at buying a business, I don't necessarily look at uh, rate of return because a lot of that stuff can be manipulated because rate of returns are always derived from how much money you're putting down, how much you're financing, cash on cash returns, things like that. What 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 this guy taught me to do on the business side was how much money do you want to make? That's your first question. Do you want a business that makes a hundred grand a year? You can find those. Would you rather make two hundred? Man, I'd rather make two. You know, and then he was like, well, why would you only want to make two? Why would you want to buy a business that makes five? Dude, I'd rather make do a business that makes five. And guess what? You can do the same amount of work for your business that makes 200 grand and maybe more than you are with a business that makes five. It's all the same. Business is business. It's all about managing people. You got to, it might be a service business. It might be a manufacturing business. But the first thing that he said was, you pick the cash flow that you want to make. So if you want to make 500 grand, now it's all based on multiples, right? So you're going to have uh, a multiple of, uh, you know, the lower price businesses have lower multiples, means they're cheaper. As you get up on that income scale, if you want to make 200 grand, guess what? The multiple gets bigger, it gets heavier. If you want one that makes 500 grand, the multiples just get higher and higher as you go up the ladder of what you're going to make. By industry as well, too. By industry. You got to you got to buy the right industry. So when we talk about staying away from marginal business, I'll give you a great example. I have a friend of mine that bought a retail business. Now, our kids played on the same soccer team, and uh, we had multiple conversations about this before he did it. And I knew what was going to happen. It was a marginal business. He was buying a franchise and he told me what it was going to be. He was going to have to lease a space inside a strip center. And I could tell you straight away, that business is going to make 20 to 40,000 a year after everything is paid on a good day. On a bad day, it's going to make zero. <laughs> on a good year. Yeah. And guess what you got to do when you when you lease up uh, office space or retail space? You got to sign this pretty little guarantee. You know, when they bait you in to a cheaper rate, if you go longer years, you know, if you'll sign five years, we'll do this for 14 a foot. You know, instead of, you know, if you do a one year, it's going to be 17 a foot. So they bait you into these long term leases. But these guys are shrewd, man. Commercial real estate landlords are shrewd as hell. And they will lock you up. They'll, you'll get a you'll get a personal guarantee on that. And guess what? If you go broke, they still come after you. They'll put a lien on your dog. I mean, they don't they don't stop, man. They 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 will squeeze blood out of that turnip. And uh, that's what happened to this guy. So you fast forward. Uh, we had a conversation just a while back, and I was like, and we got into how it's doing, and he did a five year lease. And he was at the end of year four and he said, I'm going to write it out to year five. I'm like, why? And he said, because that's when the lease is up. So he's building his whole business model based on a lease. We back that up. I'm like, how much money have you made? He goes, oh, I haven't made anything. I go, in all four years, you haven't made anything? He goes, nope. All I've done is roll what little profit I have into more inventory. I'm like, wow. So I can tell you the first couple of years, him and his wife were up there all the time. And this guy had a daytime job. So this was a side hustle for him. And I'm all about side hustles, right? But again, you don't want to mess around with a side hustle like that. You don't want a retail operation that's open seven days a week that you are going to have to get your butt in there and run because you can't even afford a minimum wage worker. Right. That is a marginal business. That is what you want to stay away from. We're going to help you stay away from marginal business. We're going to help you stay away from uh, marginal real estate. And then on, on the stocks and bonds, we're going to give you guys ideas about what you can do that, that that's right. And, and my portfolio too. 
Yeah, Josh has got a portfolio. He's got his own strategy about buying stocks. And there's a hundred different strategies on, on, on buying stocks and bonds. And we're not saying any of them are right or wrong, but learn your niche. You know, if you decide to go after a niche, stock, Josh loves uh, dividend paying stocks. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the model that he's doing is right on. You want to buy often. You want to do dollar cost averaging and you want to wake up in five years and have, you know, a hundred grand in that thing and that you only put 70 in and you've made 30 grand on that and you've made dividends all along the way and you don't even look at the stock. That's what you want to do. Uh, another philosophy is, uh, and the one that I like is uh, buy on dips and sell on rips. So you, you're sitting, you're sitting there with a lot of cash and you have four or five stocks queued up that you like, that you love long-term plays. I like, I like stuff like Amazon and Facebook, you know, you know, Facebook's going to be around another 20 years and they're going to, it's probably going to be, you know, five times what it is today, but you're going to have these ups and downs along the way for sure. You know, when, when COVID hit, uh, I'll give you an example. Facebook was at 220 and when the market crashed at its bottom, it was down at 140. That's a dip. You want to buy on dips, right? So as it's going down, you want to be a buyer. You want to have this cash on the sideline. Yeah, I'll take some at 180. Yeah, I'll take some at 160. Yeah, I'll take some at 140. And when it keeps dropping to something really low, you're like, dude, I'm going all in at this price because that's a stupid price. Well, guess what it is today? You know, we get a little bit down the road with COVID. The market's rebounded. And now it's at 260. Yeah. So you've got a double. You, you have roughly a double on a stock like that. But I'm a, I'm a fan of let's sell on the way up. You know, don't get greedy. Take some take some off the table and play with the house's money. I love that model. So if you have these four or five stocks, buy on dips, sell on rips. That's another strategy. There's all kinds of strategies on stocks and bonds. and uh, But just know them well and stick with your plan. You know, if a stock's going in the tank, uh, a mistake I made, the worst stock I ever bought was a stock called Washington Mutual. You guys listening may not even know what it is, yeah. but I lost my ass on Washington Mutual, and I was an idiot. It's a bank that went out of business in 07, and guess what? I wrote it all the way to zero like an idiot because I was like, it's going to go back up, <laughs> and banking did not go back up in 07. Half of them went out of business, and half of them survived, and half of them did go way up, but I unfortunately had the wrong stock that went down, and so... uh you always got to be mindful of do you have the right stock, and uh, so you got to know you got to know your your niche there. But uh, that that's that's kind of three quarters of the story in the last, and and, I, and I'll wrap it up with uh, I, when when I was in banking for ten years, I love everything about banking, but I hate the bank, and I worked for a fairly large bank. It didn't seem big but it was a huge bank. It was a $10 billion bank. And uh, it just didn't have a big presence here where, where I am. But I, uh, I was about to be a branch president, which in our bank is a big honor. That's and good. I, I was just, you know, a couple of weeks away from getting that title, but I found uh, I was a serial entrepreneur at heart. I had businesses on the side with another guy and I want, I want to talk about that, too, on, on business side. But uh, we had a mastermind group. Everybody was in there was a business owner, and I was a side hustle guy. And so I was like, I got to get into business. I got to get into business. So I found a business that I thought had good spreads, and I bought it. Anyway, it didn't work out, and I learned a ton about that. So I got all these mistakes that all you guys can learn from. But when I left banking, it was at a great time because every passing year, these banks get harder and harder on the business owner. And I can tell you right now, they don't even want to do business with the business owners. All they want from the business owner is his cash because these banks make all their money from deposits. So they want all the deposits they can get. And, you know, the big banks, they they rocket deposits. You know, the Chase, the Bank of America's, they are rock stars on deposits and nobody can compete with them on deposit side. And but the community banks try, but. They, they got to get these deposits somehow. So where they get them is from business owners. And so they want the business owner to give everything you've got. If you have 300 grand, put it in my bank and, uh, and we're not going to give you anything. <laughs> so you want business loans or whatever, forget about it. The only thing they want to do is a real estate loan. And I get it because real estate doesn't move. It's the best collateral and they want zero risk loans. You know, gone are the days when a bank would take 
let's, you know, they break it down to risk profiles. They might have a, a risk profile of 5%, you know, which sounds great, right? I've only got a 5% risk profile. Well, now the risk profile in banking is almost at zero. And there's ways you can get to zero. You know, you make a guy put 30% down on a deal. That's almost a zero risk loan. Right. You know, SBA 30% down. <laughs> yeah. But they make you check all these boxes, right? Not only have to have the cash, what if you don't have a job? No loan for you. Uh, okay. So now I've got a, a good paying job. Now I've got great money in the bank, but I have a 500 FICO. Nah, no loan for you. And so they make you check every one of these boxes. And my heart was helping these business owners and I just couldn't do it. And I was like, okay, I'm out. And so I was thankful to get out. I go buy this, this, uh, this business. Anyway, when I sell the business, I'm at a crossroads. What do I do now? You know, and I, I'm still a serial entrepreneur at heart, but you want to take this safe play of, you know, banking, pay decent money. It's the golden handcuffs. But I did not want to get back into it because my heart just wasn't there. My heart was, okay, these guys don't care anything about the business owners. And we want to build a group, uh, a mastermind group. And that is all about the business owner. And then I, I found my niche and I became a fractional CFO and take the banking experience, all the finance experience. And now I work inside businesses, helping their business run better. So I've got my own business as a, as a, as a fractional CFO company and I help business owners get better. And my plan going forward is I want to buy fractional ownership of these businesses and so we will teach you guys all about this kind of stuff. You know, how to raise funds. If you want to buy uh, some real estate or you want to buy a business, you may not want to do it together. So I want to, I want to finish with this and then I'll wrap up. And that is business is tough. Josh can attest. And you want to stay away from marginal business. And one of the things that I have learned in business is the best businesses are where there is a partnership type relationship on some level where there might be two owners or in your case, Josh, you got a husband and a wife and you guys are going at it on 10 X, but you take one owner that has certain set of strengths and he has a certain set of weaknesses, right? But the other partner has the set of strengths that fill in the gap for the other guy's weaknesses. Those are the best ownership groups when it's a partnership and both guys are committed to going in it uh, hot and heavy and their uh, strengths line up with the other guy's weaknesses. I love that model. And sometimes in business, when you get really successful, you can hire a CFO and he can have your, uh, he can complement your weaknesses there. But the solo entrepreneur is so difficult to do because you have these inherent flaws and you can't see them, right? You are blindsided by your flaws. And uh, when you have that other partner, he keeps you humble. He keeps you honest. He calls you out, right? And then vice versa. You uh, you call him out and you guys help each other. And when you're committed to growth, those are the best businesses. But those are some nuggets there of lessons learned and things to do and things not to do. And uh, at the end of the day, we just want to help you guys get better. That's, that's the bottom line of what we do. We want to help business owners get better. So, that in a nutshell is the summer of what we're going to be doing going forward. And we hope that, you know, in a year from now, we've got 52 podcasts, you know, that you'll be able to dive into. And, but a lot of what we're going to interview is we want to interview just everyday relatable business owners that are successful. They, they, they're branching into those three categories, real estate, uh, business and stocks and bonds. And let's see how they do it. What 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 advice do they give for the business owner? But we want it to be relatable and we want it to be something that you feel that you can attain. And those of you that are already there, uh, you can take it to another level. So it, it's it's all kinds of information that we're going to be throwing in there. So we're going to intersperse deep dives into all three of these categories. You know, some weeks it'll be Josh, me and Josh doing that. And other weeks we're going to have uh, business owners out there just kicking butt. And you're going to want to hear their stories and you're going to hear how they got there. And so that's the premise of what we're going to be doing on this podcast. Yeah. That's a great story, man. So many, uh, as I was uh, uh, processing all the information, it's funny because like the first property that I I purchased, um, I did a similar thing that you did. And what's crazy was the exact same price. I bought it for 120 
Uh, and I, but I actually moved in with my sister and her husband at the time, and we split the rent and we we paid it down. And you know there was a it was so cheap, but we got like a massive place, and then we sold it for one fifty, <laughs> just like you did. And yeah. that was the first deal, you know. And we came out positive on that, and then that funded the next deal, and then so on and so forth. So, um, but the you know all these mistakes we're talking about. Um, for those of you listening, if you guys want access to Shane and I, uh, it's inside the NL Mastermind. Uh, if you go to the website, you can sign up. It's an annual membership. You'll get access to me. But here's a here's a real key thing. Whatever the the price is, I want you to to um, think about this. Think about what's the cost of making a bad mistake. Okay. A bad mistake for Shane costed him five years. A bad mistake for me costed me five years. You know, we, the, the the price of a bad mistake, of a bad deal, of a bad transaction, you know, you're paying in time, you know. And uh, I remember there's, uh, you know, there's plenty of times that I can recall, like, picking up the phone, running the numbers by Shane, and he's like, no, dude, this is not going to work, you know. And that any of those times, if I didn't pick up the phone or have access to him, uh it would have just been, you know, I'd have been down the wrong path right now. So uh, you guys need to have access. And this is the access that we wish we had, you know. Oh, man. that, that w- One of my biggest mistakes is I didn't have a mentor. You know, I was telling you early on, my dad died. Nobody mm-hmm. in my family ever amounted to anything. And so all of this stuff was a school of hard knocks, right? The problem with the school of hard knocks is you waste so many years. Right. But I, I just got to repeat that. The problem if you don't get mentors is you waste not days, not months. You waste years. You hit it on the head. One bad deal cost me, the real estate deal cost me seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I had nothing to show for it. This friend of mine that got the marginal business, that could have been avoided. Right, right. All of this stuff, when you make this bad decision in business, it doesn't haunt you for today. It haunts you. It can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in many years. And it's just one bit of wisdom, a mentor, some guidance, and it keeps you out of those pitfalls. So what you said is right on. Let the business pay for whatever membership is. It's a write off. And but at the end of the day, you don't want to make these same mistakes. You want to be successful. And uh, that's what we're here for. It's it's, we we don't have an agenda. We don't have an agenda. We don't want you to get into this, get into this and. There's no agenda there. We just want to help guide you along the path. And with whatever you do, let's help make the best decisions inside each one of those categories. Yeah, that's what it's about. No, it'll cost you time. And you can't, you can't, you can't replace time. You can't go buy time. That's can't right. do that. Only thing, no, can't replenish. So, uh, well, thanks for sharing that, Shane. That was great to get to understand all the, all the nuances and, uh, you know, I can see now why you're so caring about helping other people. Uh, and, you know, it's like we just, just we want to be that mentor we never had, you know. Man, what a great word you just said. We want to be that mentor that we never had. Right. And uh, but we're going to encourage you along the way. And JP, man, he, he he'll kick your butt. He'll tell you, get after it. Don't <laughs> don't sit around and just and, and be idle. And we don't want that. We want 10x. We want, you know you know, get this development plan and get after it and, but do it smartly, do it with wisdom. Right. And that's 10 X and you add those things together and that together is 10 X. And that's what we want for all you guys. All right, guys. So that's going to be it for today. Thank you guys for tuning. Make sure to subscribe. If you guys want to check out the website check it out. NLmastermind.com. Uh, hit me up on Instagram if you're on there at Next Level JP. This is the Next Level Business Podcast, taking you and your life and your business to the next level. Come on, baby. For episode two, this is Josh Pather and Shane Mara. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Till next time. <laughs>